1: Hello, listeners. I'm well. Thank you for asking. Yeah, that's all right. They
0: never ask us, do they, Coxie?
1: (laughs) No, I can't say I've ever had a listener reach out and say, How are you today, Nick?
0: I think I have, actually. Usually, when we don't put an episode up, it's like, Hey, was you okay? There was no episode today.
1: (laughs) I have had a few of those. And I've actually had a few people express their, um, I don't know, disappointment. Is the right word, sorrow, that we're no longer doing the Daily Tradie Rona cast.
0: Yes, yes. Which did
1: surprise me, I must admit.
0: Yeah, I suppose you and I figured that it was just us um, rabbiting on and Mm. maybe indulging ourselves a little more, but it's been fantastic uh, to hear from so many of you how much value you did get out of our daily episodes, particularly through what I guess was a tough time for a lot of people. Um, you know, from March through till um, pretty much the back end of June when yeah. you know, it was, it was some pretty heavy stuff going on, a lot of uncertainty. So um we're really pleased that we could, I guess, support some of you through that through the podcast. And I'm gonna do a Chucky Norris into today's interview, <laughs> Coxie, which is a fantastic chat with a younger guy in the trades. Who very much believes in the same thing of of um, supporting those around us um, and surrounding ourselves with people who can support us. Yes, he's a big believer in in um, having the right mentors and multiple mentors and and um, you know people to guide us. Uh, but probably not surprisingly, he's doing a lot of that for other people within his industry and and has built a seven-figure, multiple seven-figure business. Um, pretty much off the back of that ethos, I suppose, Coxie.
1: Yeah, very much so. It's It's a great chat today, really interesting. I've had the opportunity to catch up with Adrian a few times now. Some of our uh, Coffee with Coxie uh, contributors and joiners will have met Adrian, but he tells so much more of his story today, and it's really quite fascinating. I think the listeners are going to take a lot out of today's conversation.
0: Absolutely. There's... Um there's personal insight, there's uh, a pretty funny story about why he couldn't do his uh, <laughs> his his passion, uh, his passion for a trade, he was uh, unable to do that, how he actually sort of uh, managed to overcome that, uh, and then how he's gone on to build with uh, now a business partner as well, um that multiple seven figure business and and some pretty funny stories in there about some of his mentors as well. So uh, mm-hmm. definitely an episode episode. An episode, episode worth tuning into, uh, <laughs> an episode <laughs> worth tuning into, and uh, some fantastic takeaways. Um, and there's a bit of a twist in the tale with uh, with my big question that I like to ask. So wait Ooh. till the end for that one, and uh, you'll find out what I'm banging on about there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a I, I, fantastic chat with Adrian Walsh from EcoStream. Enjoy. So, we're joined by Mr. Adrian Walsh uh, at the Tradies and Business Podcast. Welcome to the show, mate.
2: Uh, Thanks for having me. Um, I've been, like like I said a little while ago to you, been stalking you guys for a while and um, (laughs) and, uh, this is all part of my master plan.
0: How do you know we haven't been stalking you? (laughs) We do stalk some of our guests, but I I must admit, I haven't really stalked you that much. So, um, why don't you tell our listeners... Why we've got you, on, well, not why we've got you on the show, but who you are, and then they might decide yeah, why we've got you on the sure. show after that.
2: Cool. Um, so uh, I'm Adrian Walsh. I have uh, EcoStream Water Management uh, based on the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria, um, and we do uh, irrigation contracting, consulting, um, and sales, um, mainly in the commercial landscape space. Um, I'm plumber by trade and there's a bit of a story there that we can get into a little bit later, but I kind of ended up in irrigation, you know, by sort of marrying a love of horticulture and plumbing. Yeah. So um, we got a few staff, um, a fantastic crew. Um, uh, And in fact, three of our field staff uh, are women and uh, they are just awesome. And uh, so we got six in the field, a couple of us are kind of all rounders. We get out there when I need, when we need to, and we've got an estimator as well. Yeah, it's awesome. a big
1: crew. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Adrian, I I have the benefit of understanding some of your backstory, but I'd love you to share it with our listeners today. I've I've you had a really interesting journey to get where you are today. Um, shall we start with the business journey? Let's talk about how you came to be doing exactly what you're doing now.
2: Yeah, so um, irrigation. Uh, I don't even. I, I, we're trying to get it across the line as a trade in Australia. So I don't even know if it's considered just yet as a trade. But I know Irrigation Australia. They have their cert three, and 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 I think um, whoever the training bodies are in Australia I will make it a trade soon. But when um, I've been in it now for um, getting on twenty years now, and um, and really. The road to get here was difficult in in learning because that, when the people I was working for, I didn't feel really held training in high regard. And so I started down the road of horticulture. When I left school, I loved horticulture. In, in high school, I worked at nurseries part-time and um, always loved being around plants and, and building something and seeing something grow. And um, kind of loved, you know, being in a rural setting as well. Um, so I finished high school and went into um, a diploma of horticulture. And after the first year, I didn't quite get qualified in it. But at the nursery, as I was picking pl- picking plants up, I started um, getting like rashes on my fingers and things. And it turned out I had contact dermatitis from plant from some of the plants and you know it's a horticulturalist with a plant allergy like it's um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's um like a doctor uh, that can't stand the sight of blood <laughs> yeah like and i'm going shit like you know and I, at 19 years old i'm going my life's ruined like i've yeah, wasted a year yeah. and therefore like being in this you think that's the biggest thing in the world yeah. and um <laughs> And so I'm trying to, um, and my, what's it, now my father-in-law, like I was, I was dating Jackie at the, t- at the time. Um, he had a mate who had an irrigation, um, contracting business. And I was, we we're talking about it one night, you know, around dinner and, uh, and he's going, what are you going to do? And of course father-in-law doesn't want his, want their daughter with someone who doesn't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> um, and so, so, um, so he goes, Oh, um, uh, I've got this guy and he's he's really trouble having trouble finding people and it's in irrigation. And, and I've done a little bit at the nurseries and stuff. And I think once I entered, so I went and worked for him and I quickly saw how big an industry it can be.
3: Mm.
2: Um, I always thought, okay, it's a little bit of poly being around, running around someone's backyard. Yeah. Well, in as a matter of fact, you have every sports field you've got in a council mm. is irrigated. Mm. Um, um, every... Um, elite school around Melbourne has got really high-end irrigation. Um, every commercial um, uh, property or, or new estates when they're trying to sell the homes have got it, got it in there and and all the parks and gardens as well. So Royal Botanic Gardens, we're in Melbourne, so it's known for its gardens. Mm-hmm. So um, the irrigation around all those gardens Um and some of the contracts are way bigger than I would have ever considered. Like, you know, he was at the time the guy I was working for, it wouldn't be strange to win a hundred thousand or a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar project. You know, and so that's a far cry from a bit of poly being around someone run around back someone's backyard by a landscape. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's a whole lot of pipe. <laughs> yeah, it is and it, and it, it does like we did we did jobs that had 10 kilometers of drip line in them and um Wowza. and things like that and and but the frustration like it was kind of this frustration that hey I'm working for this guy but there's like no courses I can do on it it does fall under the Victorian Building Authority as an you need to be like a licensed urban irrigation installer but the pathway wasn't there yeah, like, yeah. so that the requirement was there and they had a pathway ten years beforehand, but they they didn't have the pathway to do it. So the way you did it was you had to work under someone illegally in the industry to get the experience, so you could approach the Victorian Building Authority and say, "Hey, look at my experience." Wow! You know, and it was just
0: it's such really a, a crazy scenario we have where, <laughs> and what you've described is is um, you know, it's not as prevalent in some of the other trades, but no one will give you a start um, to get the experience, but no one will take on someone without experience. So where do you go and solve that problem? You know, like you said, you have basically got to go and do it illegally um, yeah. so that you can actually go and legally get
2: recognized. It's crazy. And when you approach the building authority, they kind of go, Oh sweet. You got the experience. Like it's sort of, they never go, Oh, what have you been doing? Yeah. So it's kind of like this known problem, but, um, Anyway, but being who I am, like it didn't really add up. And so after a couple of years in it, I thought I'm gonna um, go to a plumbing apprenticeship, learn general plumbing. And if I love general plumbing, I'll stay in general plumbing. Mm. But um, uh, I hit the end of it and I still had that love for horticulture. Mm. And I loved the big, big machinery we were using with, um, uh, like irrigation in, is just simply a niche. Of plumbing you know it's a specialized yeah, yeah. area of plumbing so um i got qualified got licensed um and bought that back into the irrigation world um mm. and ended up working in quite a large irrigation company in melbourne and um quickly got promoted into a project management role and um Fumble my way through that for three years and, um, but learned a lot and mm. thought yeah. I knew way more than I did when I went and <laughs> Doesn't and, sound and, like a
0: young bloke at all, man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I guess after being a few years in that, and my boss, um, uh, was really fantastic, it was a fantastic training ground mm. for me to then go start my own thing. Mm. And, and, um, so seven years ago, I went out on my own, started a business thought I knew everything, thought I was going to take over the world and very quickly started eating some humble pie there. Mm. And, and, um, and do you know what? It was because I, it was really the arrogance that kind of killed me. And that couple with the health issue that I had, which just didn't work well with my mind, mm. um, uh, kind of told me six to nine months wanting to shut it down mm. and, 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 um, and ending up in mega debt. and, mm. Uh, and in fact, even accepting a job to go, I, I got offered a job. I went for a job and I'm like, this is it. And three days before I was going to start that job. And, and by the time I should say, we weren't winning any work. I could not win a job. I won like two jobs in that time. Then I just price, price, price work. Mm. And I wasn't winning anything. And I'm hitting there and, and my wife didn't work. Had two young kids by the time, by the time a mortgage. And I'm going there's like three grand left in the bank and mm. there's no money coming in. And I owe 12 like, mm. and um, oh, at least we've got some equity in the house of shit really like, but I'm going, what went wrong here? And I actually accepted this job. It was quite a good job. Like it was um, I drew on the experience I had already. And, and I gave, and I said, oh, I need six weeks to start it. Well, three days before I was going to start that job we won a major contract <laughs> and and um, I was like, no, nah, not going to do it. And this is when, like before we spoke, spoke on the podcast, this is when some some of my mentors came in and they landed at the right time mm-hmm. and they started giving me some advice around business mm-hmm. and whether or not I should be in it. And even though I wanted to take this role, they strongly encouraged me not to and that they'd hold my hand over the next couple of years. So they
0: encouraged you to go the business
2: route instead of taking the job. Yes.
0: I find find that's that's interesting, mate, because a lot of people are sort of, it's like take the safe option. Yes. Mm. So that was some pretty good insight from those people around you then, mate.
2: So let me tell you, I rang, and what was crazy is I didn't know these guys from Bar of Soap. I'd gone to one business event and I kind of just hit it off with them. And I was really honest with them as well about mm. where I was at. And I think, I think I was so broken by then, I just didn't care anymore. I didn't have a facade to even try to put yeah, on. Yeah. yeah. I was just honest with them. And I didn't realize how successful these guys were. One of them introduced himself as a sign writer. <laughs> and I then found out that he had a business that screen printed all the Commonwealth games.
3: You wow. Know,
2: um, he did like 75 kilometers of screen printing. Um, he had a publicly listed company and um, he, he introduced it at this point. I thought I was calling a sign writer, like, and um, and, and um, and then another guy um, was huge in property, but once again, I didn't know his influence or his reach. Mm. And he was the one I called, and I said, oh, Look, his name is Damo, and in fact, we're still really good mates, and and um, and he really celebrates my successes now, but um. I rang him up and and I said to him, I've been offered this job, I think I'm gonna take it. And um, he was not brutal, he was really caring, but he said, well, what's your question? Like, you need to tell me your question because, and I said, well, should I take the job or not? And he said, why, why do you wanna take the job? And I said, it's security. He goes, no, it's not.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I said, why? And he goes, do you, do you reckon taking a job's more secure than than having a business? And I said, Yeah. And he goes, no, nah, someone could fire you tomorrow. Their business could go bad. They could fire you tomorrow.
3: Mm.
2: And he goes, So let me just like just crush that <laughs> that view you've got. <laughs> and um and he goes, How long is this job that you just won gonna last for? And I said, six weeks. And he goes, Well, we've got six weeks to work some stuff out. Mm. And um, and that begun the journey of doing some stuff, rebranding. I ended up getting a business partner who i have now. Um, he's a fantastic guy. And and we we have our strengths in, in each area of the business. He's really engineering focused. He's, he's really highly qualified in irrigation, but he gives me some free reign on the business. And my mentors aren't his mentors, but he mm. gives me free reign on the direction. And so moving forward, you know, seven years ago, we had that... that the one-man show that was failing, and and now I'm really proud to say that we're that we're really taking a fair chunk of the pie in Melbourne. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yes, so. you are. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> <And that's, laughs> know that's... all about your pie, and yes, you're taking plenty of the pie. <laughs> I do want to delve back into something that you didn't say, but I heard and picked up on there. And a lot of what you were actually talking about was the removal of ego. So if we were to talk broadly about What takes us into business and we think that we can succeed in those big ideals and the puff our chest out and the big conversations we have and then the crushing heartbreak that you fell into, what that does is actually removes the ego that surrounds us and allows us to be vulnerable and invite better opportunities into our lives. So I'm keen to hear what your thoughts are, Adrian, around ego in business and what you've experienced and seen
2: over the years we become really good at knowing how to hide who we truly are and that become can become a really elaborate lie Mm -hmm. and and um we can become specialists at knowing how to present ourselves to certain people and we have no idea that people can see through the bullshit because we think we're presenting something absolutely amazing (laughs) um um and it's why quite often we end up specialising in different areas. Like, oh, there's Adrian and he is the irrigation business owner mm. and that's who he is. Mm. Yet there's a there's a whole lot more to me and it's really easy for me to stick within that space yes. and not venture out of that, that, that space because it's like if I venture out of it, I could be completely exposed, mm. you know. So... You wouldn't at that time you wouldn't see me try to go out and swing a golf club because I'd be completely exposed as a fraud because I can't swing a golf club, but I can be the good irrigation business owner. And and um and what these guys encouraged me to do was start stepping out of my comfort zone into areas that it would reveal who I really am. Mm. And the advice they said was and there's, there's a lot of mentors, I've got to say, there's a lot of people who are giving me their time for no dollars. It's quite unbelievable. And these guys spread across Australia and the world even. And, um, and one of them um, uh, ended up saying to me, he goes, I want you to find, if you went to a Bucks party and the guy said, we're going to go do this now, and you had that hot flush of shit, I don't know how to do that. I want you get to go and find mentors in that area. So, if Adrian, you're terrible at playing cricket and you'd never over the last fifteen years play cricket, that's exactly what I want. I want to go you to find guys who are going to accept that you're shit at cricket, but just let you have a hit with them and realise mm. that being exposed in that area is not as bad as he ever thought it was going to be. Yeah. And and um and so I've really been really open over the last five years to being exposed and to showing who I really am. And there's some really dark areas that I'm working on and there's some, some fantastic areas that I'm good at. And the areas that I think I know I'm good at, I'm now realizing there's so much more to delve into. And I hope that's not being too broad. I'm trying not to make this too wishy-washy because there's some real depth to it, I feel, and there's certainly depth to it in where, where I sit because um, I've experienced the downfall and yeah, I, I'll let you guys cut in. Cause I am gonna- <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I, I wanted to ask a question about that, Adrian. And, and yeah, and, um, I, I absolutely identify with and, and, um, agree with what you're saying about, um, not just finding mentors who do that, but even if we can, as individuals, I guess, go, go do things that we suck at and, and be okay with the fact that we're not great at it. Um, but I wonder for you, is is there a way that you've made peace with that feeling of discomfort and embarrassment and imposter syndrome in those places when you do start to expose yourself? Like has there been something that's helped you make peace with that?
2: Yeah. So what I've found is as I've known, as I've embraced who I am and there becomes a big yes around who I am as a person, so entering into those things where I feel exposed, isn't as scary anymore. Because I'm, I'm beginning to have a feeling of knowing who I am. And not only that I know that I know who I am, but I'm becoming the person that I want to become. That even though that I've got it, I'm starting to have more understanding around who I am, there's still further to go on it. There's more journey to go on it. And I'm becoming, I'm becoming better. And, um, and becoming the type of person that could handle anything. That's, that's really what I'm finding that, that my goal is becoming. My old goal is becoming, the old me is becoming completely successful. The new me is becoming so resilient that I could handle anything that threw that was thrown at me and I, was, I could dust off. Mm. And I'm gonna be the guy that says a quote now, but like Teddy Roosevelt, when he, he talks about being the man in the arena, Mm. Um, better to be the man in the arena covered in blood and dust than the scoffer who's sitting at the sidelines. And in fact, I'm starting – it might be sadistic. I'm starting to thrive at being the man (laughs) in the arena. (laughs) But
0: it is, mate, because when – I know for me, um, part of my upbringing was to be very – not that I led a sheltered life so much as a young bloke, but my dad, he had a really – traumatic childhood. Um, You know, there was um, alcoholism in his big family, there was physical violence, sexual abuse, um, extreme poverty, like he he had a a pretty rough childhood and, and quite traumatic. And so, understandably, a big part of his parenting of myself and my brother was to protect us from things that, the dark things, you know, that to him were bad and evil and and should be avoided at all costs, but because of that, um I guess I didn't build a lot of resilience and I suffered a lot of um what we call nowadays bullying as a young guy and and a bit of violence through school and a lot of anxiety and self doubt and all that sort of stuff and it and it took me until my my sort of mid to late thirties before I actually started to feel remotely like a man quote unquote. Mm. Um, Mm. and so I'm probably a bit like you, mate. It's like, I, I find things that freak me out or that embarrass me or whatever. And I'll go and have a chop at it because it does, it's like those little cuts, you know, you're in the arena, but you're still alive, right? You're bloodied, Mm. but Mm. those scars heal and toughen up and actually create more of a, uh, not a tough skin like that impenetrable exterior. And I'm waffling here, listeners. So you're welcome. Um, (laughs) Tom's probably (laughs) laughing at me right now, but, uh, but it is, you know, they, they just build up that ability to deflect the blows through life and, and um, I guess that's what I'm hearing and what you're saying. Mm. I have a question at the end here, Coxie. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we work with a lot of people here at Tradies in Business and, and in particular in our drawing boards um, where I'm seeing a lot of guys, especially who they are clinging with a vice-like grip to their trade to the tools Mm. to the things that they know and i wonder what your observations have been adrian kicking around the industries around how to actually shift that so they can start jumping into finance which Mm. flips most of their lids right because they haven't done it they're not good at it how the hell do they make that jump mate
2: yeah and that's uh, that's a really good question and and one that's like falling on me trying to, um, that I've, that's been a place I've tried to navigate. And the re I would say one of the sole reasons for the original, cause we ended up rebranding, I created a created new business. And even though we never went bankrupt and we paid all the debts from the previous one and, and we sort of jumped in with this new mind frame. So, um, I guess, um, the original business was like I was all trying to work on it I was all only trying to create success mm. but there's something beautiful and pure about those guys wanting to be on the tools
3: mm. like
2: I'd start with that like even though that there's might be some issues around that and they're having trouble letting go I'd start with hey those guys are loving being on the tools and finding joy there they don't need to take over the world that you know that's what they do but I would encourage them to find some people in the space that can push them in that area of finance and not just write it off and forget it. Mm. So, um, one thing I've heard over time is work on, you know, on your business, not in it. But, well, and, and I've heard that. And my experience would be work on and in, the, in it and love it because, um, um I, I think the day that you decide I'm just going to work in it, oh, sorry, on it. Mm. And you, 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 my experience is you could lose touch and you may as well just grab a certain amount of money and chuck it in investment and not be a baby anymore. Um, Part of this for me has been trying to find joy in all situations. So that's why I get back out the tools to go, I need to get muddy. I need to get dirty. And so I would say to those guys there, well, it's not about giving all that up. Mm. Like a fair bit of your identity is probably even tied up in it. Remain the guy, get up, work your ass off, enjoy it, have some banter at work, but maybe half a day a week, go spend some time with someone who can help you with your finances. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Perfect, mate.
1: I want to um, probably, I think it's similar to the question Warwick just asked, but come at it from a different angle because we talk a lot (laughs) about vulnerability and allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, but I think we get, particularly men, uh, get particularly uncomfortable with the thought of what that might feel like. And given that I know that you've done a lot of work around that, Adrian, I'd like you to share, if you can, with us what it actually feels like to be vulnerable, to put your hand up and say, actually, I don't know about that but I'm going to find someone to help me. What did that feel like to you? Because knowing where you are, where you've been and what vulnerability feels like for me, it doesn't hurt half as much as you think it's going to. And in fact, there's a whole bunch of power in it. But I'd love our tradies to hear it from a tradie. I'd love them to understand what that felt like for you.
2: Yeah. So um, I'm going to refer to, um, I think the best way to refer to my mate, I was telling you guys about before, Ken up in Bridge Bridgewater. And I don't think we're talking, that wasn't on the podcast, was it? That was before the podcast. I think. before, but, um, yeah. So I want to talk about Ken and, and Gary's brother. But, um uh, these guys, um, I've got some mates. They're Victoria's oldest farming family, and growing up, I thought these guys were the toughest guys that I'd ever met in my life, and they are tough. There's no doubt about it. They're wheat and sheep farmers. Um, they've been on the property since like 1886 or something. Are uh, uh, just salt of the earth guys that were tough as nails, and as I became an adult. I saw their vulnerabilities and particularly with Ken, we, I couldn't believe when I went up there as an adult, it was like kind of this new, cause I'd always gone up with mum and dad and I'd been a kid running around, we'd ride motorbikes and have fun and um, we'd shoot and all sorts of stuff and it was great. But when I was about 25, 26, I went up there the first time by myself as an adult and I got smashed with Ken one night and, um, and, it was just a anyway. We shouldn't go exactly what like happened. It was a wild night, and, and um, and uh, it was what was amazing. Like he's in his sixties, and what was amazing is is um how deep he was. I, I I couldn't believe how deep. And then and then I started going up regularly, and we didn't get smashed every time. It didn't. Yeah, you know, like we. I, I wanted to draw upon this wisdom of this guy that I was sitting in front of, who was salt of the earth, tough as nails, and all of a sudden I was realizing he had a heart, and um, and so and so I started being pretty vulnerable with him about where I was at, and, and I'm thinking, man, I'm this is like the toughest guy I know, and I'm opening up in front of him right now, and he is just receiving, like mm-hmm. he is not judging. Like, what I'd say to that is that people, most people, particularly people who've experienced pain, will listen and will allow you to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. and, and and they'll get it. In fact, um, one of my mentors and I kind of adopted it. He said, "I'll never open my, myself up to someone who hasn't experienced pain,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: <laughs> and and I'll never give myself to them." But if they've experienced pain, they'll listen and they'll understand and they'll, they'll allow you to be vulnerable.
1: Mm. I think it's it's something we grow up being vulnerable and we kind of hit the end of primary school, beginning of high school and, and it's knocked out of us because as teenagers we're awkward, it's difficult, we don't know what we don't know and it feels uncomfortable. But if we hark back to when we started playing sport, for example, let's say we all played on a football team. We didn't know football and we had a coach or a person or a mentor that, that pinnacle figure in our life that taught us the skills and it was okay to be vulnerable then and it was okay to be vulnerable in school early years of school but as we move through the perception changes it and we become dare I say it cocky most of us as teenagers and feel like we need to know everything or we do know everything and if we don't know it we're going to pretend we know it so that we have that credibility and then we sort of get to our 30s, 40s and realise, you know what, it's actually okay not to know that stuff. It's okay to put our hand up and ask for help or some direction or show me where I can find out more rather than being bogged down in this expectation of thinking we need to know everything or, or pretending that we need to know everything. And mm-hmm. imposter syndrome, and that's mm-hmm. very much also what we're talking about here is something that can be actually really comfortably leaned into and you can learn from there's nothing wrong with throwing yourself into a situation where you've got to swim or you're going to sink and i guarantee you'll find a way to swim it might be ugly might not be very pretty at all but you will get yourself out of trouble if you're in trouble because finally you're in a position that will force you to put your hand up and say i need help
2: yeah and i i I love how you you focused on the 30s and and what was interesting, like when I when I started my business, I was 29. I was like two weeks away from turning 30 years old. And Morgan, one of my mates, Morgan said to me, um, "Your 20s are a decade where you finish them with exclamation marks. Every statement is finished with an exclamation mark, and you hit your 30s and you realize that those exclamation marks don't work in every situation, yeah. and you have to start replacing some of it with question marks." Yeah, and and, and um. The the other thing about the decade of your 30s, I felt was it was the first time where the things that I did mattered to other people. Mm-hmm. So right up to, to teenage years and 20 years old, um, uh, what I did was really, like I could be really selfish and I could have margins because if I had a big night, going to work wasn't a big deal. Like, But you lose margin in your 30s and the things that... Um, that you do completely matter. You're the least important person in your world,
3: mm.
2: you know, and, and and so it's why I think start, things start unraveling mm. in your 30s. Mm. And, and I was really lucky that they unraveled really early.
0: Mm. Yeah, give you time to actually uh, <laughs> cash in yeah. on the learnings, mate, and get ready for your yeah.
2: 40s. Yep, yep. So... Like, sorry if we've gone too deep too quickly, guys, or if it doesn't make sense, I hope it it does. Have
0: you listened to any of our episodes over the
3: last
0: (laughs) (laughs) years? Hey, Adrian, I want to sort of loop back around again as the great grey shark circling in the water, Tom. Um, But uh, the the transition from tradesperson to business owner, uh, and I feel like outwardly, you could be doing the same things. You know, you could spend 70% of your time on the tools as it were and 30% of your time working on the business as we referenced earlier and you could do exactly the same stuff every week but have a completely different identity and one is as a tradesperson and one is as a business owner. Was there a point where you made that flip? Like have you seen that happen at all? Is that, is that being applicable for you, Adrian?
2: I think um, as... The business has expanded, expanded, and there's been people to train. I've really, ta- I've really stepped into that role in that I love creating. I enjoy creating the processes that are easy to express to our staff about how things are done. And so, my business partner Richard is, um, uh, he's taken on the role of doing our training videos and all that is is just about the expectation. Um, so. What I love doing is still getting out in the field and just trying to work out exactly how I want to do every little aspect of our our world, just mm-hmm. to improve quality and 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 then really walk closely with our staff and see them grow. So, so I would say yes. I I don't know if I'm answering the question properly, but I I have enjoyed flipping from tradesperson to business owner because it it the flip feels noble it's not just about money it's i'm loving it building into people's lives i love the fact Mm. that we have three female field staff and i was the one that put the ads out and i interviewed them and now i can see their careers coming into fruition and them actually building something for themselves
3: Mm.
2: and so i would say that um that even though yes i'm out in the tools and stuff i don't run around as quick as i used to don't sweat as much as i used to and i probably i probably pick some of the best tasks as well <laughs> while i'm out there <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but, but as yeah. i was listening to you
0: there adrian it's it's like the the purpose behind yeah. your time on the tools shifts and so as that and look i don't mean to rag on trades people you know it it, it is a perfect fit for a whole bunch of, of people in the industry, um, whether that's a, an accountant on the tools who just, you know, is is smashing out tax returns or a plumber who's, who's laying, you know, thousands of meters of pipe. Um, there's nothing wrong with that and the world needs all the different flavors and colors. Uh, but a lot of our listeners are striving to get to that place of having a business rather than working on the tools for money. And I think, the purpose from what you described, Adrian, I like that is the purpose actually becomes building something that other people can, can use, you know, you're creating tools for other people instead of just picking up a tool and smashing down a tree yourself. Mm
3: -hmm. And I really
0: like that way of looking at it, mate.
2: So like, let me explain one of the things that we've done recently that I love that's working really well. So we don't currently run on a traditional, I shouldn't say traditional, but one of the job management platforms, we haven't found one that's right for us and I've really wanted to get on one, but there's a couple of aspects of things we do at this point that don't feel is going to work well with the existing softwares on the market, but we've sort of pieced a whole lot together. So we use like DocuSign, like for all our swims, we use Drive, like Google Drive. I've got Power Forms running on DocuSigns for machinery checklists. and. Um, but we've also um, I've got a full time estimator now because I'm not I'm simply not a data guy like I used to do all estimating and it drove me nuts sitting in front of a plan counting and mm. entering data like yep. and and um uh so but what I did I got um someone in and I paid her to help me but I had this idea around um, creating a risk matrix for our projects sorry for our project pricing so when you um, open our costing sheet, um, you can't do anything until you answer about 10 questions. And there's like a, a, a value down the side. So so one of the questions would be, are the payment terms favorable for us? And mm. if someone wants 90 days, the sliding bar goes to a 10 mm. and, and the factor might be three. So therefore you'd add 30 points to the end to the end figure but there's 10 questions like that and these are things that add or take risk from each particular project
3: Mm.
2: and each project will fall in a low medium or high risk category and then when you jump into the costing sheet the margins change based on the risk yes and um now what's cool about that is that I'm pretty open about that with our clients. So I'm aiming to try to get everything in a low risk. Like I'm aiming for, it. I, I'm not aiming for projects that have a huge margin on them because they're high risk. Mm. Some people might call that dickhead tax. Like <laughs> um, yeah. it's not just cause it like, it's not always cause the client's are dickhead. It's because um, the project's simply not in our favor. It's yeah. 200 kilometers away. They want payment terms are difficult. We need to trench in rock. Yeah. It's not a design and construct project. We're a subbie to a subby. Like that's the worst case scenario for us. Yeah. We, we want the best case scenario. What's cool about this particular costing sheet is it makes sense to my clients when they ring me and go, oh, Adrian, you're 15% more expensive than the other guy. We really like you. We want to use you. And I go, oh, that project fell in a medium risk category for us. Let me tell you why. Mm. And we can start swapping risk for dollars. And it seems like a swap that makes sense to everyone. Hmm. And th- then I might save them 20 grand by getting into a low-risk low category.
1: It's really yeah, it, clever.
2: It's
0: a sorry, um, sorry. fantastic way to, to get <laughs> the client to put some skin back in the game.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Instead of just stepping back and going, there's the job, take it or leave it. Yeah. Like well, it, yeah. mate. So, so where else have you... Um, or where else have you observed, perhaps Adrian, that you do things a little differently or think a little differently to to uh, the people around you?
2: yeah, so um, I guess in our world um, in, in our small industry we 're in um, uh, it's, most of my competitors are a fair bit older than me, um, and um, so we 've adopted technology really quick, like every the fact that all our staff members have got access to the Google drive and and Mm. that we've got different levels of input they can have and um, what we're finding. So just going digital with all of that was really important because we're finding it difficult to remain compliant um, without going digital. And the reason was, was we have to be signed on to swims on our projects. Mm. And um, what was happening is like some of our projects span nine to 12 months and we, So we've got the shipping container sitting on a construction site somewhere and you hit the, and the swims lived in that. And for like 70% of the project, cool, everyone's signed on, all good. But then as the project starts getting built out, there's no room for your shipping container anymore. Um, That stuff might get taken to a local storage facility and the shipping container gets removed off site. And then the swims ends up in someone's ute. And then when I send someone there three weeks later, there's no swims on the job and therefore... There's no access to it, even though they're signed onto it. And if WorkSafe come past, we're screwed. Yep. You know, and so having um, having docu using the swims on that. So I still create the swim specific for each project. Um, uh, but the way we do it is, I put the swims in, and then we've got a swims declaration form that gets uploaded into each project folder. And it's simply, um, if I've got a project running at the moment, say. We're doing an arboretum at the moment. So I've got a file there called Arboretum, and there's a safety folder in there. And then when our staff sign the declaration, they simply save the declaration as their name and Arboretum. And if someone comes past, um, no matter what's gone or stayed on site, as long as their phone's charged, um, mm-hmm. they can show that there's a swims. Um, so I'd say the Google Drive and that has been really good. Canva, oh, Proposify, Proposify oh, yeah. has been my favourite. I absolutely love being able to present beautiful proposals. So even though we use our costing sheet and and I do, I can technically print off a quote straight from my Excel spreadsheet. And, um, I don't because we just transfer everything onto Proposify. Some double entry data, but um, I've got a guy now that loves data entry, so that's good. <laughs> and um, and. Uh, and, um, yeah, so I, I think that some of those things and the other thing that we've done, we've got a couple of like, so it's on some projects, for example, they need like a Gantt chart written or something. So now I use Upwork and I outsource that. I've got a guy in Malaysia who does my beautiful Gantt charts, mm. you know, so I'll just like literally draw because I don't know how to use Microsoft project. Um, that's not a bad thing, I'll, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, I'll just draw it, hand draw it, and just take a photo of it. And then 45 bucks, and two hours later, I've got a beautiful Gantt chart. So, knowing using some resources like Upwork, um, uh, I did, I used a guy in the Philippines to do a civil a 3D drawing for a site cut that we we're going to do the other week. We didn't have to do one, but it helped us sell the, sell the job.
1: Yeah.
2: And the project was a couple hundred grand. So, like um, that was $75. He did a, a, a 3D drawing of the site, what we we're going to do. The customer could see what we were doing. And if you can make it really clear on what you're doing, um, customers love it. So mm. that doing things like that.
1: Adrian, I wanted to take you back to something that we were talking about before we started the podcast and something you referenced much earlier in the episode. Mm. And that was, um, I guess, your trade, not necessarily being a trade just yet and how you're very passionate about needing this to become a trade, as it should, I believe. Yeah. I'd love to hear, uh, because there'll be a lot of our listeners that don't understand that. They haven't experienced, they've they've taken a traditional route to get where they needed to be. So I'd love to get an understanding around what you had to do to end up where you are and Mm. what you feel needs to change in the industry for what you do to become the trade that it should be
2: yeah so the way i had to go there was um you know um and i think i think i said it before but re- really um going down that horticulture route realizing that ending up in irrigation realizing that um irrigation simply didn't have training so then doing a full-blown plumbing apprenticeship with a general plumber um uh he was fantastic by the way and just some business skills but um So did some um, stuff um, with the general plumber, then bringing that back as a licensed plumber and being able to be licensed in the field. I mean, probably a bit over licensed, really. But um, uh, the frustration was, was even though putting the pipes together a bit is covered in the plumbing aspect, irrigation has got some things that are pretty unique in that, pressures and flow matter with what we do they really matter so when if you were just going to turn on your home tap and your, and your sh- or a shower and water started falling on you might go oh yeah pressure is a bit shit but that's where it's going to finish whereas if the pressure shit in irrigation um on sprinkler system it doesn't work so there's a fair bit to know there and learning friction losses through pipe and hydraulics and distribution uniformity which is to do with how much the nozzles. Um, how evenly the nozzles cover an area and that can improve efficiency. I'll give you an idea. If we chuck in uh, the industry standard at the moment is to do sprinkler systems. So, so one sprinkler will spray all the way to another sprinkler and they call that head to head. And that's kind of like this unspoken industry standard. We use something called a dentogram, dentograph, dentogram, can't remember. It's called space pro. And, and it's a, pro- a software where we can place them and it, it gives us the distribution uniformity and it gives us a percentage of efficiency. Mm. And and so sometimes when I chuck those heads in um, on head-to-head spacing on that Space Pro program, I've got like 55% efficiency. Mm. Whereas if I move them in or out or wherever, play around with them, I can get it up to 90% efficiency mm-hmm. on some projects that can equal 30 to forty thousand dollars a year in water saving wow so it's uh, the need for training is yeah. definitely there yeah yeah um and the the irrigation irrigation australia is doing a fantastic job in the last couple of years of slowly getting a cert three so the way my, my staff do it at this stage because the apprenticeship isn't available in Victoria yet, even though it's the course that eventually they'll do while they're doing the apprenticeship. So, essentially, I bring my staff on as labourers. Um, they, we've got a bunch of registered and licensed people in our company already, so overseeing the works. Um, and what I get them to do is to spend a couple of years with us. They do their cert three in irrigation with Irrigation Australia. I pay for it. Mm. Like well, bloody pay for it. It's freaking expensive, <laughs> irrigation Australia. <laughs> I'm
0: gonna come up um, with you, mate.
2: <laughs> and um and then what they do is they take because the important bit's the licensing. So after a couple of years, they got their cert three, they got their couple of years, they take it to the Victorian Building Authority and they go, create a pathway for me. And I've already had a number of staff do this. And then the pathway the VBA have been really good dealing with this. They know there's a they know there's a bit of a gap. They're for new people coming in into to the industry. And they say, no worries. Um, what we need to do is come and sit this exam and then we'll put you on like a probationary registration. And mm. that's that's a pathway at the moment. It needs to be a clearer pathway. Mm. That's um, We need to, for example, all it simply needs to be is I need to be able to go to the VBA and say, hey, I've got a brand new... 18-year-old guy starting with me, and I just need to register him here. Yes, he'll be supervised. He'll be this. He's doing his Cert 3. But if one of your inspectors come around, you need to know that he's on your books already. Yeah. And there's, that's not available yet. Yeah.
0: That's awesome, mate. And mm. and uh, I know Coxie was just going to jump in there, listeners. No, we've okay. actually got video running today for a change, so I can see <laughs> when I'm cutting Coxie off. Uh, <laughs> it's it's that change to the industries uh, that I think is going to create better opportunities for, obviously for the younger people coming through, but for the the people who are in business at the moment. You know, any of you listening to this that are in an industry where you have wishes for the way the industry would run or change things or the way the government would change things as is always the case and and uh you know here's my wanky share for the day is you know we have to start being the change that we want to see in our industries and and just because you're only one plumber or sparky or builder or whatever doesn't mean you can't actually lead the way in some of this stuff and i suspect adrian that this is making you guys an employer of choice in your space like people would be coming to you wanting to work for you would that be a fair assumption mate
2: yeah yep i definitely get calls and there's certainly people super excited about what we're doing like there's there's no there's no doubt about it and and i really enjoy that we're getting some recognition there yeah
0: good on you mate so what does the future hold for you guys like I mean, it sounds like you're working on so many things, mate, and your brain must ache at the end of a day. Mm. But, uh, like, what does the future look like for you guys?
2: So, uh, I need to be careful. I don't Like, look, I'm just going to say it. I've the, the, um, said before that there's a lot of, like, I'm a younger business owner in this industry. There's a bunch of businesses that are fantastic irrigation businesses Australia-wide independence they've been running for 40 years the owners getting up to 60 to 70 years years old they're turning over two three four million dollars a year and my what i'm afraid of is they're going to just drop everything and walk away because the next generation isn't preparing themselves to take on that type of risk have the type of capital they need to buy into a business that's doing three four million dollars a year quite often they've probably got profits of four $800,000 profit
3: Mm.
2: and what I'm excited about and I don't quite know yet but I kind of feel and that some of my mentors are speaking into space because it's like I'm kind of hesitant to grow because I kind of enjoy just doing what I'm doing
3: Mm. but
2: they see something bigger and they're willing to be involved in something bigger as well and they're backing me is what I should say is that I see the opportunity to position myself to take on some of what I think is coming is monster opportunity. Mm. And and um, and so over five years, I, even though there's been some really stressful times and um, I've stayed awake going, shit, how are we going to pay that? And how are we going to do this? Overall, we run a really profitable company. And I think we're one of the few that could be really well positioned to do something huge with the baby boomer generation that are going our super is completely tied up in the sale of our business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yep. and um, I think we could do something there. So, mm. yeah, Some well,
1: big plans ahead for you, Adrian. That's very exciting. Yeah,
2: they're yeah, not plans yet. I'm going. I just feel it's there. And I'm going. How could I? Ta- There's no plans yet, but it's well, it's rattling around in my
0: just, head. You just shared it on the podcast, mate. So <laughs> our plan.
1: to <laughs> have to happen now.
0: And if our listeners don't keep you accountable to it, we will, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Coxie, I think, has uh, a question that she would love to ask, mate.
1: Oh, do I get to ask you a million dollar question? Well, you keep <laughs> leaning
0: into the microphone. It's like I should shut up and actually let Nicole have a go. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, Adrian, I am going to ask Warwick's famous question. This is a if big you had. On the podcast. <laughs> I know this is huge. Can you insert drum roll here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> If you had a thousand tradies in the room, so a thousand fellow tradies that are at varying stages of their journey, what is the one thing you would like to leave them with?
2: Mm. Um. All right. So my, uh, you need to put some mind-ticking music. I should have thought about my. <laughs> what's my parting wisdom? Crickets. We could play yeah. some. Yeah. Um. I, I. I would. Um. Okay. I would say. Um just have a think about the one thing that would, that could take you out. What's the one thing that could take you out and start working in that space on that thing, because there's a good chance it's coming.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's, and and if you had the one thing that would take you out, get some accountability around it. Um, because I think it's really important. I think we all have that one thing that would wipe us, wipe us out. And for some guys it's, it's women and some guys it's money and some guys it's power mm. but there's that one thing that will cause could cause your fall mm. and i think it's really important to try to recognize what makes you tick and what that thing is yeah it's good advice, i love
0: it man. and it and it uh it relates back to so much of what you've been talking about with that identity and you know go find the the dark things that we suck at um yeah and I think that's just like a, a fantastic summation of that, mate. So um, awesome chat, Adrian. I know we could probably chat for another two hours, yeah. mate. Uh, <laughs> we could have all the big brains together here on the podcast, just uh, smoke yeah. going everywhere. <laughs> uh, but, mate, um, if our listeners are like, okay, I want to find out more about this guy and his business and and, you know, go and stalk you as we all like to do mm-hmm. these days, what's yep. the best place to do that?
2: Yeah, so um if you went to our website ww.ecostreamwater.com dot you could you could see what we're all about there. You could connect with me on um LinkedIn. If you if you wanted to know about this risk matrix or something, I'm 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 happy to have a chat just PM. I won't give it to any competitors, but but if um <laughs> but I, I can run I can run through it with you and show you what we're sort of doing in that space because I think it could be really useful for a lot of people. I'm willing to, to do that. And um if you are from the industry, if you're not from irrigation industry, don't bother. It's going to bore the hell out of you. But if you're from the irrigation industry, we, we've we got Irination, Australia's landscape irrigation podcast. So you can check in. But if you're not in horticulture irrigation, you're just going to go, what the hell <laughs> is this? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Talking about
0: densities and uh, <laughs> Yeah. And stuff. yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, you geek out on that stuff.
0: I don't know. There might be some electricians who, who could uh, you know identify yeah, with yeah. that friction loss they and would. everything. It's
2: like, uh, they would. They, the, the sparkies would be on it, and uh, and and maybe some of the plumbers as well. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, mate, it's been a pleasure having you on the on the podcast. Um, I must admit, uh, I didn't know what to expect today when Coxie said we're speaking to a bloke that sprays water everywhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you've more than exceeded my expectations, buddy, but uh, mate, absolute pleasure. And uh, and thank you for all that you're doing for not just your industry, but for trades in general, mate. It's fantastic to see um, leaders and interrupters like you, young blokes, uh, as I can say now, that uh, that are actually being part of the
2: change. So, mate, well done and thank you. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me. It's been awesome. Love thanks, it. Adrian. You've yeah. been
0: listening to the Tradies and Business podcast with Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Find out more about today's guest, tools for your trade business, and other
1: cool stuff at tradesandbusiness.com.au.